Vietnam. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Gradient Podcast. As always, I'm one third of your host, Armon. I'm Jaden, who might I add, did not understand then or now that reference. Well, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And I'm Evan, the guy who fruitlessly tried to explain what that reference was. Welcome back to episode 18 of the Gradient Podcast. Thank you, Evan. I do appreciate it. It's, I still don't get it, right? Um, uh, I know it's a movie. It's about a movie. Um, and that's pretty much it. So it's a good start to this episode, yeah. Movie is, movie is called Good Morning Vietnam. It doesn't get more self-explanatory than that. <laughs> um, starring Robin Williams. Um, and I guess you can sort of assume by the often movie references we've been having so far. It's been this one. episode is going to be centered around the Oscars. But first, we are here to talk about the incredible internet social media event that happened this past weekend or a couple weekends ago. The Jake Paul fight versus Ben Askren, hosted by the Triller Fight Club. Thoughts, boys? What's the deal with YouTubers uh, getting boxing matches? Like, like it's something that... See, YouTubers, they have a, a god complex, right? Uh-huh. That is absolutely and accurate. That is so true. From what I assume is the, I guess, the most primal way to exploit their masculinity or expose their masculinity, comparatively to other YouTubers with similar god complexes, is challenging them to a boxing match. I mean, this is kind of like the ultimate form of vanity is, ah, yes, me, muscles big, me beat you in boxing match because my subscriber number is larger. I mean, it just, it's the ultimate... It's, I think it's the, the logical conclusion of YouTube fandom vanity. The strongest lion is always the leader of the pack. It, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know. It's been happening. It's something that, you know, has happened before. I think, the, I don't know what the first ever one would be, but I think the most notable one was a couple years back. You had uh, KSI versus Logan Paul. And ever since then, it's just been more and more common for youtubers to just settle their disputes settle any differences that they might have with a boxing match and i honestly miss the old days where you know people would just sit around a table with some tea and some crumpets and have you know an orderly discussion about things what about a podcast yeah pod pod i won't lie podcasts are a very effective medium they are yeah honestly i i I think uh I think though I think Logan Paul and KSI was the I, I think it was the first instance of YouTubers. Well, it was in the first. There was like some weird scrimmages, but that was the first like organized one to my Yeah, I, I think it was it was definitely the first like lar- like upscale like large event between Yeah, where they YouTubers. like rent out an arena. Yeah, boxing, you know, uh decking each other with a with 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 with, 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 with some boxing gloves. And I think because of well, one, just like the the, vir- the the virality of the event, like how popular it was, and also with the amount of money I'm assuming it generated for both Jake, for both Logan Paul and KSI, more and more people are just getting more inclined oh to God, do it. And I, I think it's really important to hone in on that, like sort of the how how easily you can sell this event because um, I don't know if you guys watched it, but I, I uh, bought the pay per view with some of my friends. We all watched the entire event. It was a ridiculously long event, but I think maybe a tenth of it was actually boxing. It was a whole like party essentially that was being broadcast. There was slap fights, you know those uh, like 
games that they have. I, I don't think it's much very famous in the U.S. I know it's big in Russia, but where they have like two massive human beings going and taking turns slapping each other, and the first one to faint loses. They had like full slap boxer slap fight events. Um, there were performances by Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg, Justin Bieber, uh, Saweetie, um, all these like super famous artists at the moment. And I guess what was more marketable was the fact that these people were all coming to this live event more so than the actual boxing fight themselves. Because genuinely, who cares who Jake Paul can beat up? Clearly, Jake Paul does. I mean, right? he keeps trying to beat people up. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's calling out Conor McGregor. Have you seen that video? Um, no, no. There's too it was many ridiculously. I mean, here's a, here's a question, right? You know, people's ego gets big. You know, uh, the leader of the package is always going to find the biggest line to, you know, try and prove that, you know, he can fight and he can win. Do you think that eventually this is going to happen um, where some sort of YouTuber, not necessarily Jake Paul, is going to, you know, try and organize a boxing match with some sort of professional or some sort of experienced fighter? And they're just going to get thrown around. Like, I, I, I don't wish harm on anyone, but, you know, sometimes the universe works in mysterious ways. And people learn, yeah, karma, people learn a lesson in interesting ways. And I'm, I think something like that is definitely, you know, a possibility in the future. If I, if I might touch up on this a little bit, um, I started getting into boxing and uh, UFC MMA fighting a little more. I've, I've been really interested in it recently. And actually, this past fight, Jake Paul did fight a professional fighter, Ben Askren, who was um, a former Olympian, um, a former UFC national champion. He's like a, a pro wrestler. He wasn't much of a, a striker, so boxing wasn't much a strong suit. But then again, he is notable for his prowess in the fighting industry. So this was sort of Jake Paul's stepping stone into going pro because he's explicitly said that he wants to go pro. And I feel like we're becoming a YouTube commentary uh, thing by this. And I, I don't like the direction it's going. Yeah, we're, uh, we're just slowly defaulting into drama alert at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, Next up on the news. What is this thing? Because, um, Let's get right. right it, it, it's, 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 it's probably copyrighted. Okay. It's uh, it's probably that. copyrighted. We might we might be sued by the the Keemstar himself. Waiting for um, Fine Brothers yeah. Entertainment to sue us for saying the word react. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, good good times, good times. So I think so. Armand, jog my memory. Is Ben Akron is he still like a competing UFC fighter or is he like a retired fighter? So uh, his last um, he's been retired for like two three years now, which isn't. A significant amount of time but for a ufc fighter two or three months or two or three years out of training really destroys your physique so he wasn't in his prime condition but he wasn't like uh, mike tyson coming back after like 20 years right it wasn't one of those cases but um his most recent fight that i'm aware of or i'm most notable about is he fought jorge Monfidal, who last weekend fought usman for the national championship and that fight lasted, I think it was 5.1 seconds, and it was the fastest knockout in UFC history. And he got kneed to the face right when it started, and he went flat out cold. Um, made a lot of money, but embarrassed himself. Very much so. All right. I mean, all this is, I mean, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, but you guys might have saw, uh, it, was, it was trending on Twitter, where in the UFC fight where the guy 
kicked the other guy's shin, and his leg just broke. I watched that live. I was at um, a, a sports bar. I don't want to say the name because, like, I don't know, copyright, whatever. But me and um, my same group of friends were actually uh, watching that live, and we saw his uh, ankle. It was um, Yusea Hall versus some American fighter whose name I don't want to, like, missay, so I'm not going to bother. But it was a sight, and it was a horrible – very dismaying view. Keep yeah, going. I mean, Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, I mean, just looking at it, where it's like, he kicks the guy in the shin, his leg like clearly snaps, Ankle. and then he puts Completely he puts all of on his it. weight onto that broken leg, and uh, it just folds, and he's down. Like, oh, I, I mean, I would say go look it up, but I really do not recommend you to do that. You know, if you value, if you value. <laughs> If you value your sanity, yeah. If you value <laughs> so. your sanity, if you val, if you value your own ability to like not have it, not to not have to puke on sight, uh, I would not recommend you watch that video. But I mean, so. back back to the larger topic at hand, though, about this Jake Paul fight. I think, um, I think just overall, because of how much money, how much revenue is being generated by these big YouTuber clashes in the ring. Um, as well as, I mean, how large of an event it was with, like, all the celebrities and guests and, you know, performances. I mean, this could be, like, the future of YouTube, where it's just people boxing for, you know, having, like, large upscale events. All the, all the kids' toy channels are just going to turn into boxing events and everything. We've got to put Evan's toy roots in the ring. <laughs> See how he fares. I mean... Him versus the mini Jake Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely. I mean, that that I think that. But it's not too far off to say that you know it's already becoming more common, right? And I'm hoping that you know people realize that settling your disputes through um, displays of just brute strength, you know, isn't the best way to do that. That there are you know better alternatives to that, but. I, I don't know. I just think this, you know, YouTube fights in general are just tend to be very both interesting and questionable, to say the least. I want to go back to what Evan said about how this is sort of like possibly a future of um, the YouTube scene itself. Um, I think in like the next month or so, there's a big TikTok versus YouTube boxing card fight starring like Danny Duncan, Austin McBroom, Bryce Hall. And I don't like talking about these people because we're another YouTube commentary channel. But um, they, they make a significant amount of money from it. And genuinely, fair play to them. If they're making their bank off this and it fits their brand, who can tell them off, right? People can say it's embarrassing on their end. But I, if I was in their situations, I'd do the same thing and make $10 million off stepping in the ring for one night. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure I would too, but I will still say it's very embarrassing. I mean, a TikTok versus YouTube boxing match. I mean, that is just, and that that is reading that that is reaching like post parody levels of just, of just right? complete <laughs> like internet absorption. And they're all so bad at it too, and that's why it's like an even fight. Um, it's like it, I'll, I'll give an analogy, right? So you see, like uh, the World Cup soccer where it's two of, like, the best teams in, in the world, essentially, going after for, like, the, the world championship, right? I imagine that's, like, professional boxing. Now, you have the YouTube boxing scene, which is, I guess you can argue that it's having more, like, 
media traffic at the moment. So imagine a rec soccer game of two equally terrible teams getting more media coverage than the World Cup. It's interesting to watch because they both suck a ridiculous amount. So it's even in that sense. But it's also such poor skill coming from like a proper boxing and fighting perspective that it's just absurd but interesting is the best way to put it. So moving on from the world of amateur entertainment when it comes to YouTube boxing to what is arguably the standard for proficiency and the sign to show that you made it in the film industry, the Oscars. Uh, the Oscars was this recent weekend, and I think, you know, the biggest story and narrative surrounding the Oscars for the past couple of years has been the level of diversity in their award winners, the level of diversity that they that has been portrayed in film. And I think this year was definitely a stepping stone or step in the right direction for diversity in film. Um, Specifically with this 2021 Oscars, it should be noted that we've had the first Korean actor to ever win an Oscar. Um, it says also this she was also the second Asian woman, the first woman of color to ever win Best Director. So definitely a lot of steps in the right direction when it comes to um, diversity. But the question always is going to be, is it enough and how accurate you know, is the representation we're seeing at the Oscars? Well, Jaden... Um, I think the representation you see in the Oscars is strictly performative, and that is not a good thing. Just to preface my knowledge on this topic a little bit, um, this past like six or so months, I've been doing a research project for my one of my AP classes, and I talked about diversity in cinematography and the boundaries of how that exists, right, and how it's changed over time depending on the politics of uh, America, right, in Hollywood. So. Uh, just to background a little more, performative activism is in sense where activism is present and diversity is present in the cinematic industry just for the sake of being described as diverse rather than truly being diverse for the betterment of society. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? So the Oscars has this tendency to nominate and display uh, diverse actors in films that are only present strictly for being diverse. And I'll, I'll give an analogy, right? So in the Jackie Robinson biopic 42, starring Chadwick Boseman, it's actually Chadwick Boseman this time, we had to restart because I said the wrong movie. Um, obviously, Jackie Robinson is notable for being the first African-American ba uh, baseball player in the history of the MLB. So naturally, that role had to have been played by an African-American actor, and rightfully so. So Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, took the job and performed it amazingly, and he received a lot of recognition for his role. But what we see in the cinematic industry is we see movies where the, uh, the cast is uh, diverse just for the, the role being forced for him to be diverse or him or her to be diverse, rather than the role just happened to be played by a diverse individual. And this is a prime example of typecasting, and it's a prime example of the wrong kind of diversity that we want to see in the cinematic industry. Mm -hmm. I have, I don't want to say conflicting, I have differing views as to Armand. I think when you're, when you're looking at diversity in films and then representation of that diversity at the Oscars, I think... Uh, the diversity itself is 
noticeably a leading factor as opposed to the awards, which are a lagging factor, what the awards will and that will have to be coming after the increase in diversity. Um, but we've seen quite an, quite an increase, I guess you could say, or, or just a trend where we're having films with casts that are specifically, you know, that are specifically diverse in order to tell the story more compellingly, um, which movies that come to mind would be like um, Moonlight, which had an all-black cast, Crazy Rich Asians, which of course had an Asian cast. Um, another notable all-black cast was, um, not all-black cast, but a, a movie that specifically focused on uh, the lives of African-Americans would be, um, would be uh, Us. So, I mean, like we, we there's definitely a black trend Panther. where, I mean, yeah, yeah, Black Panther, of course, um, other, yeah. So like we, there's definitely a trend that, that that's been noticed that's been noted is that where we see you know filmmakers usually you know of a filmmakers will, tr will want to make stories about you know their lives as a certain race. I mean, of course, going back like years ago with like Spike Lee with his you know a lot of his movies you know center around the experiences of African Americans. You know, looking at like Jordan Peele, who's become a recent who's recently become a a, pro a prolific director, and how his movies center around African Americans. What was that? Um, I have a I, I love Jordan Peele on Comedy Central. Um, I have a, a a quick thought. So you talk about um like the increase in films that compel a story using the diversity of its actors, like Crazy Rich Asians and Us and Black Panther, and that's amazing, right? But I think diversity is better well suited in the cinematic industry when these individuals are um, like nominated for roles that they just happen to be black in. Like for instance, take um, The Martian, right? A very uh, well-recognized movie, however many years ago in the Oscars, it's the first one that came to mind. If instead of Matt Damon, it was played by an African-American actor, not because the film required it to be played by an African-American actor, but rather just it happened to be played by an African-American actor that is a better representation of diversity in film, or at least like the individuals in film, rather than Black Panther being nominated for however many awards. Well, I, I don't know if I call it a better representation because these are films specifically telling the stories of, you know, of, of these minority groups and like how, and like, and it's, it's the director who more likely than not is a member of that, of that group telling a story either, that either relates to them or that compels them in some way. And so I think that kind of undermines the, the purposes of these movies where these directors are trying to tell stories about, you know, who they are. And so, you know, obviously if, you know, someone was given an award because like if there was a diverse, if there was a diversity in the example that Armand used where, you know, it, there was no need for them to explicitly be a certain race where, you know, if it was, if Matt Damon was, you know, black if, yeah, black, black Matt Damon, if you want to use that example, I, I understand the importance of that, but it's also important to recognize that these are stories being told, uh, stories, that, stories that need to be told about these groups and that no one else can properly do them except for people of those groups. And so if we undermine the significance of that, I think that's a really, I think, I think there's a big loss there. I don't think we're undermining the significance of it at any means. Um, I, obviously, I think it's important for the diversification of America more so than the cinematic industry to tell these stories that are in the perspective of minorities and African-American individuals and uh, whoever, right? But I think, because you know, like if you take um, 
us, for example, right? Or uh, us is less about the blackness of the individuals, but they just happen to be black. Let's take crazy rich Asians, right? If crazy rich Asians was in a, the, the whole cast was not strictly Asian, it was a bunch of white people. That just would not happen because the point of the movie is for that specific race to be represented, right? Yeah, I mean, so, for one thing, if a movie was called Crazy Rich Asians and the entire cast right? of white people, it would be, be a little bit of a strange movie, I would say. Crazy so, rich um, Europeans come into box offices near you. I mean, they, are, they happen to be quite crazy. Crazy rich Swedes. Um, anyways, uh, those roles are restricted for the individuals in that, in that race. So it doesn't say, like, obviously, it says a lot about telling the story of those individuals, but it doesn't say much about the diversification of the industry itself, just because those roles wouldn't have been played by a white person anyways, right? When you see roles that are unrestricted for race, seeing a minority played in that character is, it, it tells a lot more about the diversification of the industry. And I, I do agree with you that telling these stories in the perspective of minorities is important but it's less of a tell of the diversification of the industry itself. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Well, just, yeah, I, I just, and just to make a final note, I mean, so you quickly referenced us as like, they were, they just happened to be black. I think that story doesn't work if they're, if the family is anything else. I don't remember it that well. I remember being like ridiculously scared during that movie. It, uh, is, it is a quite scary movie. Scary, um, yes. Uh, I was it, focused more so on the creepy little girl rather than, you know. I mean, fair fair point that that girl is happens to be quite creepy um but like because like the whole message there is about kind of you know um i mean i can't speak too well to this obviously i think we're um, not letting Jaden talk enough in this conversation about <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think i i don't think i'm the most suited person to talk about this issue um but it's kind of, but like i think you know one of the the driving messages in that movie is kind of the uh the um I guess like the code switching and like the double sided lives that a lot of that a lot of African Americans have to live, you know, when they have, you know, the their societal the societal expectation as well as, you know, who they want who they want to be. I mean, I obviously can't speak to this too well, but that movie, like if the cast was anything but African American, I don't think it would have worked nearly as well. Just because that is a, a that, that just, just because the narrative and the the message that it was trying to share. Was specifically tail was, was was specifically focusing on the the, the African American experience. I think that when it comes to representation in film, there's kind of two ways we need to look at it. The first one is going to be films that are created to portray the struggle or created to portray you know a certain group of people, right? For example, um, Us is a great example where it is a film directed to portray African-Americans and the, the struggles that they go through and portray them in a certain way. But you also have the films who aren't really, you know, trying to speak to a certain audi audience, right? And it's diversity there is, when it comes to those type of films, right? Are people of color and considered, you know, for the same rates as pe non-people of color, right? Because statistically, people actually do enjoy when there's diversity in film. Uh, there was a UCLA study that was published, um, I believe this same year when it comes to the Oscars, and it talked about how th for people of color, there's about 30% more people of color in film this year in the Oscars than there was uh, back in 2014. And that for women of color specifically, about tw there are 25% more who are actually represented in film. And I think like these are very important numbers, but what these numbers don't exactly tell us is 
are these people in films that are written for African-Americans, written to portray something about the culture of any group, right? Not just specifically African-Americans, right? Or are these just films written to be published and generalize any sort of, you know, just a general scenario, right? For example, any movie that just has a plot or any sort of theme not related to, you know, the struggles or the identity of a certain group of people, like, how are people of color being considered in those roles? Is that not what I was trying to get at with the Black Matt Damon reference? I mean, I mean, yeah, it kind of was, but at the same time, I think it's more than just, hey, uh, can we put, you know, people of color in place of, you know, white people in a film? It's because I think it's it's really important to state that it is twofold. That it is pictures that are meant to display groups of people, right? And also pictures that are just, that have no specific focus on a group of people. And how we are considering people of color for those roles. And how we can normalize, you know, people of colors having roles in these movies that aren't, you know, specifically designated for them in a way. We've actually seen this. We, we've seen this actually occur with surprisingly superhero movies, where um, more actors will, of color will be um, will be casted in roles that what the comic book characters are comic book characters. Yeah, yeah. wasn't um, Albus like a finalist for one of the Superman movies, right? Yeah, I believe I believe so. But yeah, but like we so like notable examples would be like uh, Domino from Dead from Deadpool two. Um, Black Canary from um, Birds of Prey, those comic book characters were, you know, largely continue to be largely depicted as as white, um, but they're but the actresses that portray those characters in the movies are they're they're African American, and so we so we we have seen this kind of trend where normally white characters would be portrayed with uh, will be portrayed with people of color. I mean, there was a, a large controversy with. Um, Oh, with uh, with with Marvel's Spider-Man, uh, with uh, with uh, MJ, you know, uh, usually a white red-headed woman now being portrayed by Zendaya, uh, who was not a white red-headed woman, yeah, if, you, if, if, if you don't recall. Zendaya's been doing a fantastic job on that role. Um, no one has anything on Zendaya as MJ. <laughs> yeah, he's well, amazing like, in that. So we've seen, you know, um, I guess uh, historically white characters being portrayed by you know non-white actors and there has been a significant backlash from you know the more i guess like diehard fans you know your kind of classic rate nerd nerd rage you know kind of nerd rage kind of or they're they're making you know you know what i'm talking about i don't want to spell, have to spell it out nor do i really want to <laughs> but like with Can this I, uh, digress a little bit from the conversation of like the, the the race aspect of the controversies in the Oscars themselves yeah, and talk about the actual awards and nominations. Cause last weekend, the whole theme of the Oscars was set up almost as a tribute to Chadwick Boseman due to his unfortunate death last year. Um, and they, they even made the, the best actor um, award, which typically gets put near the beginning of the awards to the very end, which is the one he was nominated for. And then he lost. Um. <laughs> yep. What was he in? Um, I didn't watch it. I, th I think it was called The Father, right? Or something, something dad related. I forgot what it's exactly called. I think uh, that was the biggest snub in the Oscars. 
since Leonardo DiCaprio did not win the Oscar in The Wolf of Wall Street because that was a piece of gold. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd consider it a snub. Anthony Hopkins did a fantastic job. Did did a fantastic job in The Father. I think it was more just... I think it was more just because there was so much focus being put on Chuck Boseman and his and, and his untimely passing, it just felt kind of weird. Where it's like we're gonna put all this emphasis on to Chuck Boseman and you know his, his and his unfortunate death, and then when it gets to the point where we could award him Best Actor, we're not going to. It's a very strange, I think, just overall decision made by the Oscars and the Academy. But I don't. I would consider it a snub. Anthony Hopkins felt. He was walking up, getting the award, knowing damn well that he just beat Chadwick Boseman, who the whole yeah. award ceremony I mean, was like. When the Oscars give uh, uh, post or uh, posthumous awards, I mean they they've get, they gave one to Heath, to Heath Ledger for his role in as the Joker in The Dark Knight, um, but when they give Another posthumous, amazing. yeah, when when they give posthumous awards, it always like there's a little bit of like you know, bittersweetness there, but when you give or, or or more accurately when when someone is posthumously nominated for award and they don't get it it just feels really wrong where it's like oh this guy's dead let's not honor his memory whatsoever it's very strange it doesn't feel right i mean it's definitely you know an interesting decision from them i think that you know i i don't think that the actor who won it again did you know was bad by any means but i definitely think you know to have the focus be on chadwick boseman um to intentionally save you know best actor for last and to not kind of give him any sort of recognition for that i think is questionable to say the least but um even even just in general i think the oscars was you know had its ups and downs this year uh, a lot of ups when it comes to diversity but you know you still had you know the questionable decisions made by the oscars and the academy that you do every year but um again just something that you know going forward we just kind of hope that things get better and you know we see consistent improvement from them because then i think that's when people can kind of you know be satisfied and be happy all right, everyone, we want to thank you for joining us in episode 18 of the Gradient Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our, I hope you enjoyed our discussion about, well, one, Jake Paul's uh, prolific boxing career, as well as our discussion on uh, the Oscars and the uh, role that race plays in the film industry. Um, if you enjoyed what you saw, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Uh, you can go ahead and also follow us on our socials. Our Instagram is at gradient podcast our twitter also at gradient podcast and our facebook page at grad pod we also have a, we also have a subreddit now r slash gradient podcast there is still zero posts on the subreddit so if you want to be the first one to uh post on the subreddit you can go ahead and get some get some free karma for that to be fair every episode you know where we brought up the subreddit we said there's zero posts but um chronologically these were all recorded very close to each other um, our past three were like the same day or something like that. So, you know, there's, there's still time, you know, you, you have, you have time, you, you have time. <laughs> um, I don't know how accurate that statement is. It's, I mean, it's this one was like a week after and then everything else was there, but even, even still, right. Um, one thing you could do if you, when you ultimately just decide to follow us on social media is make sure you pester Armand for not doing anything on social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just take a minute to just you know what? sit and ponder why Armon hasn't done anything with social media accounts. <laughs> you know what? I've been in charge of thinking of episode ideas because Evan doesn't like to do his job there. So, uh, who said that was my job? I don't even think Evan has a job. <laughs> so, what is your job? Jaden's our editor <laughs> and our contact man. I'm episode maker and Instagram person. contact my job man. Is to be the, my job is to be the best person on this podcast. That's my job. It's to, hard, it's to carry this podcast. You're not doing a good job at that, then. Oh, my. Mm, all right. Armand, who, who are your parents' favorite uh, host? Hmm? My parents have uh, objectively said Evan is their favorite. On the yep. Podcast. That's what I thought. All right. But. Moving <laughs> on from there, so you can go ahead and follow our socials that were. Expect that a revival, here. though. Expect a revival on www.itsgradient.com, um, and a, a follow-up post on our Instagram. And our after shows are going to come back, and they're all going to be organized. So if you want to see our, our old relics of podcasts, go ahead and watch them. Remember, episode two is pretty good. We sang. As oh, a trio. No. Oh, oh episode, episode two. I would be excited though. Uh, month of May. Sean, Sarah. Finals, APs, AP exams. But after that, you know what comes next? It's the summer. We're free, and we've been pretty good. You know, for these past couple of weeks, being consistent with those weekly uploads. You know, pat on the back to us. But uh, I think it only gets better from here. So. I mean, if you want to go check out episode up. two. If there was one. By all episode, means, you do. If there was one episode that we could remove, for me at least, it'd be episode two. <laughs> Absolutely not. I think I would TikTok do episode special. Four. Yeah, TikTok special. <laughs> oh, TikTok special. I think, I think if you look oh. at like, uh, keep this in there too. I'm talking because um, I, I I suggest we split up the previous episodes of the Gradient Podcast into two eras, post video and pre video. If you're looking at pre video episodes, I think episode two was a banger. It was an absolute super heat banger. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the TikTok special was arguably one of our larger mistakes. <laughs> I mean, we... Anyways, we I'm Armand. <laughs> I'm Jaden. <laughs> I'm Evan. Don't watch the TikTok special. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.